Welcome, everyone, to our podcast, Connections. I'm Michelle Prouse, and joining me today is... Lynette Ellis. And Connie Banyan. And Heidi Willis. I'm Connie Banyan's youngest daughter. And we are recording Conversations on the Couch. Connie and Heidi, we are so happy to have you here today and are so looking forward to learning more about you, Connie. You are our superstar today on the Conversations on the Couch. So thank you so much for being willing to do this. Thanks for having me. And you're so lucky to have such a sweet daughter at your side to support you. Luckier than anyone could know. I'm so grateful to be here, and I'm glad for this opportunity to be with my mom. Wonderful. So, so many people, including myself, but are, are so new in the ward, they don't even know that you're mother-daughter living here in the same circle. So I would love to start this podcast out just by learning how this came to be, who moved here first in Creekside, and how you got to where you're living so close to each other. So Connie, do you want to tell us the story a little bit? Well, how we got to Creekside is really, as I look back, one of the miracles of my life. Uh, David and I were living in Half Moon Bay, California, and it was clear that it was our retirement was actually going to happen. And we had children living on the West Coast and the East Coast, and we decided we would go to Utah, that that would be somewhat of a, an in-between place. And we thought, we, we knew that Joe was a real estate agent. And we said, Joe, just send us pictures of houses anywhere between Salt Lake and Provo. And he did that. And I just looked at these pictures and they all looked just alike to me. And I said, Joe... There, I don't understand it. All these houses look so alike to me. There's only one I keep coming back to, and I have no idea why. It's no different from any of the others, but I can't stop coming to it. So he said, well, Pleasant Grove is a nice place, but I'm not sure it's the place for you and Dad because I'm afraid if you go there, you'll go to church and you'll find that everyone's just barely married, having a first child, and I'm afraid you could be lonely. So I said, okay, back to the drawing boards. And I looked again, but I kept coming to this house. And I said, Joe, uh, I can't explain it. I keep coming to this house. It makes no sense to me. I see nothing about it that is so different from any of the other houses. Would you just go look at it and maybe you'd see a reason why I keep coming to it? So he went and he called and said, I take everything I said back. This is your house. I can feel that. And he said, I know you're going to love the ward because it's two doors away from Jeremy and Jenny Guthrie. And they love the ward. And We had known Jeremy and Jenny in Stanford days, and we had absolute trust that if they said we'd love it, we would love it. So we bought it without ever seeing it. Wow. And we came, and we've 
if I had known it was a gated community, I would have eliminated it immediately. But and now I'm, I feel so safe and cozied in, and it's been a huge blessing. And it's a beautiful home. It's a wonderful home. It's been a great place. So Joe, just for the listeners, is Heidi's husband. And Heidi, how did you come to living in Creekside by your mom? Was Joe just so taken by the community? He's like, honey, I'm just thinking. You know, it was, I, that, was, that was an interesting story too, actually, because we were not looking to move. And we hadn't even talked about moving. We hadn't looked at a single picture of a house online. We were living in Cedar Hills at the time, just five minutes north of here. We loved our neighborhood. We had wonderful friends. Our kids were really happy. And um, we bought our current house from the Lytles, who are in our ward. Oh. And uh, Joe was working with some clients at the time, and he had clients interested in the house. So he brought clients to see the house, and that. So he saw the house for clients, and the clients were interested in the house. And but it was clear when he got home that there was something about this house that was special. And I think he wondered if this was our house, but then his clients were interested in it. So he wasn't going to say anything or do anything. He's a good because man. he had I might a fiduciary. Have that. <laughs> yeah, he had a fiduciary responsibility to his clients. So his clients did want to make an offer. He helped them write up an offer. It was a good offer. And then at the last minute, his clients called him and said they weren't feeling right about it. They didn't want to submit oh, their offer. Oh, wow. my goodness. And so he said, oh, okay, that's interesting. Would you be okay if I submit an offer? And they said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. We, we clearly know that that's not the house for us, so absolutely go ahead. And so Joe took me and my mom <coughs> to see the house, and I remember actually – after we walked through it, you said to me, Heidi, don't you think this is your house? And I still was in that mindset of, we're not looking to move. But uh, Joe felt good about it, and I was open. And Joe said, I'll just write up this offer, and we'll see what happens. And we got it. It felt like heaven's hand. It felt like heaven was directing us here, and we were supposed to be here. And I think it was partly... Because my dad ended up only having a couple more years to live, and we were so grateful for that time to be just down the street and Mm. in his ward and to be able to be here connected with my mom and with the whole ward when he passed away and through that transition. It's been a huge blessing to me and to my family. And to me and my family. That we've been here. Yes. I constantly say this, but I am marveled. At the goodness of God. Oh, that he, when he says he goes before our face, Mm. he is already in our future Mm. as he has been in our past. Mm -hmm. And so when we have these things happen and these these inclinations to do things and we're like, what, Mm. what, what? Mm. And then, you know, it's it's down the road that we see the reason. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it just testify how the Lord is just lovingly so much apart and he, for each of each of us Absolutely. we have experiences like that mm. it's just so beautiful joe sees it in his work all the time too 
he is the first one to say that the spirit guides families to where they're supposed to be. It does. And mm-hmm. part of missionary work, part of, you know, maybe people meeting people. I mean, there's probably a million reasons, but I know for me, I've been definitely guided to the homes that I've bought. And mm-hmm. Spencer had a grandfather that uh, looks a lot like our son, Moose. We affectionately call Moose. His name was Grandpa Bill, and he moved all over the world as a mission president. And I remember sitting with Grandpa Bill, and he, he said, You know, Spencer, Michelle, the Lord uses your work as a vehicle to put you where he needs you. So so always cute. be brave to buy houses and to sell houses. And I just hear his voice so Aww. clearly, but in our life, that's been so true. But on top of this, not only do you have just the two of you, but you have another Benyon in the ward. So can you please explain how Linda and her husband came into the equation and when they moved in into the area? Well, Linda and Richard were on a mission, and they said before they left, keep an eye out for a house for us if you see anything, and uh, let us know. If they had sold their comes home they had before sold, they left. Right, they had sold their home. And so when uh, Jeremy and Jenny were called to be mission president and decided to go, and they they were Oregonians, and they were ready, I think, to start thinking Oregonian thoughts. Yeah, I think it was before his mm-hmm. mission call, but they had felt to move back to Oregon. Mm-hmm. So I just called Linda and Richard and said, there's a house just two doors away. And I, I'm not sure if they had met Jeremy and Jenny, but they knew of them. And, and uh, anyway, they just said, we'll buy it. Sounds good. So they did. So amazing. It's such a joy as a newcomer to the area to see you out walking with Linda or your children, Heidi, just here in this little Mm cul-de-sac. And I I know exactly where James is going or where whoever's going, you know, if I'm doing the dishes at the window, I see them kind of toddle down and I think, oh, they're going to go spend some time with grandma. They know right where they're going and what they're doing. So I feel so blessed. I ask, I pinch myself. I'm like, how, how did I get so lucky to have you here? I feel like part of your family. I hope you don't mind. I'm, I've nominated myself uh, a member of your family. Thank you. (laughs) And I love hearing your story about this. And then, and you think about, you know, the past couple of testimony meetings that we've had that people feel drawn to this area. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that we've all experienced it, that at some point. Mm-hmm. So I, I love hearing your story mm-hmm. of how you came to be in our mm-hmm. area. And I feel so lucky mm-hmm. to, to know both of you. Well, we feel like the lucky ones in a wonderful place. So I want to know, Connie, like about your upbringing. I would love to know when you started wearing really colorful socks. Do you know the first time I met you, this is a true story. The very first time I met you is when we had our house fire and we were just meeting our neighbors for the first time. Everyone was coming out to kind of see, you know, it was an unfortunate way to meet. But I'm not kidding. The first thing I noticed when I saw you is that you had bright yellow 
kind of, I think they must have been flowers or happy faces or something on for socks. And I thought to myself, I'm going to love her. Oh. Because I love that you're, you're just being your fun, your fun, outward, artistic self. So tell us about you and kind of what you love or where you grew up. Just mm. a well, little bit more about you. I love my family. I do love color. I, lo- I, I come from a family that really is made of love. Uh, my parents are one of the great love stories of the world, as far as I know. Um, my father is... I, I have deep Mormon roots. My father is a child of Guy C. and Melissa Wilson, and they were also a family full of love stories, a lot of uh, a lot of devotion to those people who had a very difficult uh, time. Uh, Mom and Dad uh, started out in Provo. That's where I was born. Um, then. He was hired by University of Utah to be a professor. He taught history. I, I've, through the years, I've met many people who were students of my father. Said, "Tell me, he was the best professor I ever had," and I can believe that because he was one of the best teachers I ever had. That's for sure. But they were in. Salt Lake, so I was in Salt Lake until I think about the fifth grade. We lived at 1161 Michigan Avenue. I can still remember that. I think there were about 40 young people on the same block. I can remember Red Rover, Red Rover, and (laughs) things, hide and seek, and bicycle rides and just so many friends on that block and a short walk to Garden Park Ward where Sterling W. Sill was the bishop and I can remember just loving going to church, just going by myself on a different day to primary, walking through the alley and seeing the plants. I just have tangible memories of those Salt Lake days. But then uh, Daddy was um, hired by hired away from the University of Utah, um, and he became the secretary for the Fund for Advancement of Education and the Ford Foundation. And so the Ford Foundation was centered in Los Angeles, and we moved to San Gabriel. And we lived in San Gabriel. That's where I was a sixth grader. And then the whole Ford Foundation moved to New York. So we moved to Connecticut, and I was a seventh grader in Connecticut. And in Connecticut, I remember the autumn colors. That's, oh, oh yes. I just was stunned, and I, I was just dazzled by an autumn in Connecticut. I'm child number two. There are three boys and three girls. And um, Matt is two two years older than I. I had a sister, Marianne, one year younger than I. 
She was always my closest friend as well as my sister. She died of a malignant brain tumor when she was a young mother. She's why I have this heart. And this is something she gave me. And I've worn it every day of my life since then. Oh, that's so sweet. She's just, oh, she's the friend of my soul. Oh, my goodness. And I can tell you more about her later, but uh, so... So from Connecticut, when I was in seventh grade, my father was made the president of the University of Oregon. So we moved to Eugene, Oregon, and we were there for six years. So I went to high school there and also um, went to University of Oregon. And I loved the Oregon years. Just they were wonderful. When prize of the Oregon years for me was Miss Hedinger, my ninth grade teacher of English and history, for whom I have a special place in my heart. She's where I learned to love history and love literature. And she had a a habit um, and a rule that she had the observation that everyone has a storehouse within and they should be very careful what they put in there and they should choose things that they would like to have remain and affect their lives and she would begin class every day by saying well what's in your storehouse and then she would say someone's name and whoever name she said would have to get up in front of the class and recite a poem that had been memorized or a quotation or a paragraph, and then they could sit down again. But that meant they were responsible by the next day to have something else in their storehouse because she might choose you three days in a row or five out of seven or maybe not again till next month. But uh, Miss, I thank Miss Hedinger for what's in my storehouse to this day. I, was I, she young? She was not young. She, she was, was older. Much, she was older, but she took her job so seriously, and she took her students seriously as well. And she intended that we had two hours with her every day because she was our history teacher as well as our... English teacher. That's what I was going to ask. You yeah. said she was history, but then she was asking you like about the books you were reading. Yes. She of course, w- those so naturally go together. That's so amazing. Oh, she was a marvel. And really, recently when I had to have a, a medical test and be in a, a sort of enclosed... Whatever like a cat it was, scan. yeah, it was a cat scan. Those are terrifying if you're close. Oh, and I just I said to Miss Hedinger, "Thank you for my storehouse. I'll just oh, recite that's everything that's in it while I'm in this tank." And, <laughs> and I, I mean, she really she provided me with things in my storehouse that I treasure to this day. And when I die, I will find her, and oh, uh, my I will. I will tell her what she means to me, and I will also 
ask her about what she's been reading, <laughs> see if we've read any of the same books. And she's a treasure of my life. Oh, how I love that. I have a son that has an amazingly keen ability to recall facts, and he he's especially keen of history. Mm-hmm. And um, I've recently been talking to him about, I said, you would be the most phenomenal history teacher. You have the personality to be a very gifted teacher. Oh. And I feel like we've been talking a lot this morning, this afternoon, kind of about teachers, you know, the, the thought of educators and teachers. Yes. So if I were having a very troubled day about being a parent and I came mm-hmm. to you, Connie, and I said, I need something from your storehouse. Oh, I'd love it. I'd love that conversation. Do you think you'd have something right at the tip of your tongue? You could say, well, I think you, you'd really find a lot of joy and inspiration in, in maybe reading this or this. Or uh, I rarely have something I can depend on at the tip of my tongue yeah. <laughs> these years <laughs> as I'm looking my 80th birthday in the face. <sighs> but, uh, yes, I would definitely give me some minutes to think. And, Boy, I love oh, absolutely. That idea. And in return, I would like to know what you've been reading and how you felt about it. That's, somehow, that's how I read some of my best books. I feel like my mom has an incredible gift of compassion and connecting with the person she's with. I think if that happened, she would look you in the eyes and want to hear all about it. And when you were done talking about it, she would ask, tell me more. She's mm. such a good listener. I, I've never met a listener like my mom. She's, I'd say she's not one to just pour on tons of advice, but she will listen and, and then her heart will feel. And she'll be given just the right words to say. She has an incredible gift in communication and knowing just what little thing you might need to hear. That is is a really wonderful gift. Thank you. Well, uh, life has had so many wonderful gifts to put in my basket. I'm so grateful. But um, back to Oregon, I loved my junior high, loved my high school years, had wonderful friends, some of whom are still very much a part of my life. Um, High school was a joyful time for me, really. Um, Just loved every minute of friends and being a really, it was so important to me cheerleading and look back on that and... Wait a second. Did she just say cheerleading? Yes. We've got something. I'm I'm, I was a cheerleader too. Which no. yes, can oh. you believe that? Oh. What? <laughs> so I love that oh. we have that in common. Oh, really? That you know, I just was. I, I think that was shocking to my parents that I was. Uh, to I had been nominated for a student body office, and and uh, they just. I said, if I have to choose, it's cheerleading. I just there's no question. I would love it so much, and I could tell they just were trying to bite their tongues and let me choose and and uh, and eventually I got to do both and that was really very fun and and I went to University of Oregon and I loved my University of Oregon days and 
just living on that beautiful campus and just treasured, treasured uh, professors. And at that time, my father was the president of University of Oregon. My sophomore year, my father was made the president of University of Minnesota, so the family moved. I was sad to have the family move away, but enjoyed all my college years. And I did some graduate work at University of Minnesota, living at home, and that's where I really had an experience that changed my life. Um, I guess actually the first part of that experience happened earlier. My family, in spite of having deep Mormon roots, really somewhere along the line, didn't we didn't attend church. I think that, I, I mean, we certainly attended church when we lived in Salt Lake. But in Connecticut, the nearest church building was in New York City, and we lived in New Canaan, Connecticut. So it was more than an hour's drive oh, to go goodness. to church. And there were six little children and a, not a big car. And we made that drive sometimes. I think it became clear to my parents, this is no way to spend the Sabbath it, with eight of us in a little car making this long trip and meeting in Conda Atkinson's home was where we had oh, church. And, and in somebody's home you pull up with your crew. Oh, it was really, yeah, I think. That would have been so tough. Yeah, we just stopped. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't, I didn't particularly, I knew that if we were something, we were Mormon. And I had nice feelings about every experience I'd had at church. But I didn't, uh, I didn't I don't think I noticed terribly when we stopped going either. Mm-hmm. So uh, when when we were in Eugene, we went to church at Easter and at Christmas and at Thanksgiving and and I still knew if I'm something I'm Mormon, wouldn't have known how to define it exactly. But we had a home teacher. And the home teacher, almost as a rule, never taught us a lesson. They would come bring some apples or a greeting, or, and I think they felt uncomfortable a little bit. But then we had a home teacher named Gary Stewart. And Gary Stewart came the first time and he said, my name is Gary Stewart. I'm pretty fresh from my mission in Holland. I've been called um, to be your home teacher. I'm going to love that job. I- I'm going to get as acquainted with you as I can. I'll come regularly every month. I'll bring a lesson. It won't be long. And I might bring you a treat, not always, but sometimes. And uh, then I'll be gone. And Gary was a fabulous home teacher. And I was a senior in high school at the time, and he came and he said, "Uh, will you go for a walk with me? As we walked, he said, Connie, I've had an experience in a prayer that I need to tell you about. And he said, I feel so strongly that you should get a patriarchal blessing. And I said, well, Gary, 
you know I'd do anything for you, but I have no idea what that is. And he said, well, it's just a special blessing. You, There's a man, he's called a patriarch, he's got this calling, you go to his um, house sometimes, or to the church, and he puts his hand on your head, and he says a special prayer, and it has... It's just for you, and after it's over, it gets printed up, and copy of it gets given to you. You keep it forever. And I said, well, uh, you know, that sounds wonderful. Could Marianne, my sister, one year younger than I, have one too? And he said, absolutely, same time, we'll schedule it. So I went to get this patriarchal blessing, not knowing what to expect, but when the patriarch put his hands on my head, I, f- I felt something I'd never felt before. I knew that the words that were being spoken were coming from someone who knew me better than I knew myself, and that they were coming from a real and true place, and that I needed to pay attention. And so I, when I had a copy of that blessing, I was, uh, I knew I was holding a treasure. And I also knew that I was holding something that I didn't thoroughly understand yet, and that had implications that were beyond my reckoning. But I knew that uh, I should become acquainted with it and and be careful. Uh, and at the end of it, it said, Sister Constance, when the time comes that you seriously consider marriage, you must be very careful because there was someone set apart to be your husband before you left the courts on high. And if you wait for him, then this. And if you don't, than that. And I didn't know quite what to do about that. I felt uh, I felt both thrilled and frightened, I guess I would say. But I tucked that blessing away and with time I, I, I never I, I mean I just stopped thinking about it. I had a happy, happy life. And at University of Oregon, I, I just had, had wonderful friends, wonderful memories, wonderful opportunities, wonderful professors. I just loved it. When I went to graduate school, I, I also I loved it, loved schooling. But in Minnesota, I met a boy. It was a wonderful boy who was a child of friends of my parents. He was... A, student at Princeton and we saw each other during vacations and it was the nearest I had ever come to falling in love and it was Christmas time and I I was looking for a present for my mom I my parents beyond dear to me beyond dear to each other and I wanted, I was living at home while I was at graduate school. I wanted to give her something that would tell her how much I loved her, how much I appreciated her, 
and I wanted to, I just wanted it to have a special message. And as I was walking down the street, I saw, I think the store's name was Herald, Herald's or something like that. There was a mannequin wearing this gorgeous nightgown that looked sort of hand uh, stitched and I thought that, that would look so beautiful on my mother. She would really appreciate that and my dad would love how she looks in it too. I, I thought how could I earn enough money to buy that nightgown and that's all I was thinking of when I heard a voice and the voice said Connie you know he's not the one. And I was, because I had heard it with my ear, not just an inside voice, I turned in the direction from which it had come, and it was a male adult voice, and I said out loud, well, how do you know? And uh, there was no one there. I turned all around. There was no one anywhere, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I have heard a voice. And I thought, what am I going to do with that? And I, I just, I was stunned. And I, I went home, and um, I didn't know how to tell anyone what had happened. But I, um, I just, I, I marveled and I worried, and I eventually went into my dad after I don't know how many weeks. I said, Daddy, I simply have got to find out about the Mormon Church and whether my life would be happier with it or without it. And I don't know how to approach this. And Daddy said to me, Connie, do you feel the feeling in this room? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, Whenever you feel this feeling, you do whatever it says. It doesn't matter what it says. You just do it. So you do need to find out. He said, the, probably the place for you is to go to Salt Lake, go to Utah. You'll be immersed in the culture of the church, and you'll attend and get acquainted with the dogma and the scriptures and you'll know whether your life will be happier with it or without it and so he helped me get a job I was going to be teaching English and history in secondary school and high school so I had this job his one of his good friends was Lynn Benyon and he was the head of the school system in Utah at the time so I got this job gratuitously, really, because they were friends, but I did not feel good about it. I just, I, something was the trouble. I, I didn't know what to do. I finally went back into Daddy and said, Daddy, you've taught me to be responsible. I've signed a contract. The time is getting closer and closer to go to Utah. I feel just so wrong about it. I can't explain it. There's no, I have no explanation. I don't know what to do. And he said, Connie, do you feel the feeling in this room? I said, yes. And he said, it's terribly awkward, but when you feel this feeling, 
you just do what it says. So he helped me call Lynn Benyon and say, I, I don't know how to apologize. I feel like I can't come. And Lynn Benyon loved my father enough to forgive it and say, we'll find someone else. And then Daddy went to the office, looked up the school superintendents, and, and I said, I'm, I'm being invited by sorority sisters that I had left at University of Oregon. And they said, come live with us. We're going to be in the Bay Area. We'll have so much fun. You can get a job teaching in high school here. We just can't wait. We want to have an apartment together. And I said, I just feel so great about that. And he said, well feel the feeling in this room. It's not what we would have signed up for, but here it is. So, oh my, that's uh, a valuable yeah. lesson. And they were not members of the church, <clears throat> the sorority sisters. Oh, no. Yeah. No, they weren't. But, but uh, Daddy helped me. He, we sent letters to the school superintendents in those areas, and all through the Bay Area, and most of them said, I'm sorry, we've already done all our hiring. And we had this letter, if there's someone who can't honor a contract, I'd love to be considered. So um, this one uh, school district said, we don't have an opening in high school, but if you'll teach in junior high school, if you'll do the ninth grade and you don't like it, we do trade you at the end of the year. So I took this job, never been in San Jose, California in my life, but I went in and was going to, I lived with these three close friends and and it was very fun, but I didn't go to church. And one night, months had gone by, my friends were all out on date, I was home alone, and I was saying to myself, Connie, you've come all this way to find out about the church and whether your life would be happier with it or without it you haven't even you haven't even gone why don't you go over to the phone book look up the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints find a phone number call a bishop ask where you are is there someone who can show me the way and as i was having these thoughts the doorbell rang and i went to the doorbell and it was the property manager and his name was Larry Brim. And Larry Brim said, uh, Connie, I know your name is Connie, but that's Connie Wilson. That's all I know. I, I, I want to start by saying I'm a happily married man. I'm not going to come inside. But I was just sitting in my apartment reading the newspaper, and I had the strongest feeling I needed to knock on your door and find out about you. So... Tell me a little bit about yourself. So he said, I know your name's Connie Wilson. Um, where are you from? I said, Minnesota. What were you doing there? Graduate school. What school? University of Minnesota. Oh, well, that's where Meredith Wilson's a president, isn't it? And I said, yes, it is. And he said, oh, that's fascinating. Have you had any contact with him? I said, that's my father. He said, that's your father? Well, he's a Mormon, isn't he? I said, yes, he is. He said, well, you must be a Mormon too. I said, honestly, I don't know if I am or not. That's what I've come all this way 
to find out, and I'm just doing a terrible job of it. Said I was baptized when I was eight, but really, uh, I don't, I don't know anything about it. And he said, I'll have a. He said, I'm the elders quorum president at Stanford Ward. It's a ward of married and single people. It's just wonderful people. I'll have a ride here for you Sunday morning, nine o'clock. So that's how I got to church, and really. When I walked in that building, I sat on the back row and I just wept through the whole meeting. I just knew I had come home. I didn't know what home was. I didn't know what home would be, but I knew this is where my soul lived. And, and uh, I, was, I was beyond thankful. And, uh, during actually during the meeting, um, the the bishop was Hank Taylor, who is now the father-in-law of our oldest child, and his first counselor was Eugene England. And Eugene England, Eugene England came off the stand and came back and sat by me. And and uh, at the end of the meeting, uh, and I could get a hold of myself. He said. I'd like to take you home for lunch. You'd love my wife, Charlotte England. She's just wonderful. We have six noisy kids, but we have a fireside at our house tonight. I'll keep you there, and you can go to the fireside. I said, I don't know what a fireside is. And he said, you'll, you'll see. You'll love it. So Jean took me home, and Charlotte is still one of my closest friends, and... and uh, they arranged for rides for me to church, and I just, I just was a ball of thanksgiving. I just knew this is it for me, and this is where my taproot goes down and down and finds its sustenance, and this is where my life is and will be. And that's how it's been. That. The gospel is my treasure of treasures, and uh, at that, in that ward, I met so many wonderful people who are such close friends still. And just back from three months in Palo Alto, where I saw so many of them. Most of them have stayed, but I met David there. David was a, a student at Stanford Law School and um, I met David and his close friends became my close friends and we married really within a year of that time and just had the most uh, most precious marriage and six wonderful children and we had 52 wonderful years together and just, you know, if if I get COVID and it sends me to David, I'll, I'll never be sorry. But in the meantime, I'll wait until I have a chance to be with him again. But so I'm curious, you had that voice, you know, when you were interested in that other young man mm. that was so distinct. 
that he's not the one. Mm-hmm. So did you have a similar experience when you met David? Did you know pretty clearly that he was the one for you? It was not the same shock that the he's not the you know he's not the one. But there was a marvelous comfort. I dated quite a few of the boys in that Palo Alto ward in the beginning. But with David, it was always peace, and it was always pleasure. And he had such a marvelous mind and such a great soul. And he was so devoted to the gospel. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. But, and when we uh, married and had children, he was... Usually, even even when he was so young, he was usually a member of the Bishop Brick, so he was gone a lot from home, and he was a bishop. He was a trial attorney. He was, had a powerful personality, powerful mind, and a wonderful legal mind. He was a national trustee of the American Inns of Court. That's... A, a legal group that is a remarkable group, but he and I love uh, David's integrity was so remarkable. I I had a call just recently from a close friend, Norin, Norris Finlayson, who's a doctor. He's one of my, he and Mary were a couple I watched with eager eyes seeing how they did things they were so wonderful about a half a generation older but Norris called and said I just wanted to tell you that I had lunch today with an attorney and he found out somewhere in the conversation that I was a Mormon and he said did you ever know a man named David Benyon and uh, and Norris said yes very well and and he said, uh, David Benyon was a thing apart in the legal community. He was uh, so full of integrity that both sides of the bar uh, uh, knew, recognized, and admired him for that. And he said when he left, when he left his practice, to go on a mission for three years to Switzerland, it sent such a spark through the... No one could believe that he would do this. It said, I said to him, David, you're not going to do that, are you? And David said, well, yes, I am. And he said, that would be vocational suicide at your stage of law practice to go for three years across an ocean and be on a church calling, that I just, I don't think he'll do it. And David said, oh, I would, I will definitely do it. I would do anything that my church needed me to do. And I said, well, that's amazing. But David was, David was just, he belonged to the Lord. And he would do whatever was 
he was asked to do. But he was a prince of a father. And we have six children who wear the stripes that he could paint on them. And really a remarkable friend and husband and father. Just my love for him knows no bounds. I have loved listening to this, Connie, and I think your spirit is as colorful as the socks you wear. You oh. have such a a gift of telling your experience and your faith just shines from you. Thank you. You're so courageous. I love I love the faith that you put in in the spirit and following what you know to be right and you've been immensely blessed but I just feel like we have just been so blessed hearing your story today oh thank you it's been a joy to be with the two of you I think I will also forever think about your sweet father you know though he was not actively participating in the in the formalities of the church he knew he knew who he was and he knew how to recognize the spirit and that's got to be the one of the greatest gifts that he ever gave you. Oh, that's I, I'd so imagine true. do you hear him sometimes saying, Connie, do you feel this feeling right now? I do. Do you hear his voice? You're absolutely right. And this feeling right now, you do whatever it says that's that right. you need to do. You oh. follow it. Oh, he was such a wonderful father and my mother too. But they loved David and I think they they loved seeing our family be strong in the gospel. And I think you know, I think the gospel was always a big part of it. Certainly they lived as if they knew what they knew. Um, they had... Uh, um, I, I, never, I never questioned how deep their faith was, but... Life made it hard for them to um, to really play an active part. Mm-hmm. I think that now, when I think the thing that was so troubling to my father about the gospel was the the stand that a black man could not hold the priesthood oh. at the time. That was anathema to my father mm-hmm. and that was it made it, it I know that David O. McKay asked for his help on some things I know that he loved David O. McKay and vice versa but that he said I, I cannot I cannot take an active role when there is a, when there is that kind of a stand being taken by a church I love, but I feel so strongly has no place to have a stand like that. And it was, it was just an impossible situation for him. But he loved David, and he loved David's faith and he loved David's 
um, devotion to really the gospel that I think he felt very in love with himself. Mm -hmm. But um, it was just a complicated situation. So when the church changed the policy about that, when that revelation was given, do you remember where you were at the time? Because I'm sure that was a very big deal for you. Oh, it was a huge deal for me. I, I don't remember in the same way that I remember where I was when President Kennedy was shot, but it was that same kind of experience. I I just wanted to drop to my knees in Thanksgiving. It was, I, I knew, I knew with all my soul that the gospel was true. But, and I couldn't, and David was so completely devoted. That's where our life was going to be centered, was in the gospel, no matter how David's law practice was. I mean, he he made a great contribution in the world of law, but there was never a question of where his first loyalty lay. And I think um, I, I, I just am so grateful. I know that Daddy would just be exultant about this situation as it is now. He would be he would be so thrilled. Mm. So that's what a wonderful legacy of faith that you came from and that you have now shared with your children. Oh, it's really the prize of our lives, isn't it? It is. And the peace and the comfort and that feeling the feeling of, of peace and the taproot. Oh, for sure. That you called it. I love how you said that because there is such a familiarity to the teachings of the gospel and, and feeling we know where we belong and and to have such a grand purpose of life above and beyond whatever our professional careers and everything take us. It, it comes down to the Heavenly Father has a plan for each of us and has need for us in His kingdom. Oh, I feel that so true. Also, I so agree with that, Michelle. And I think... Uh, and I think maybe the variety of the ways that the gospel plays its music through our lives and our souls, we can make different kinds of contributions. I think my father made wonderful contributions. Our life is such a brief moment, we're taught. I know. We have this, this tiny little, in the grand scheme of things, right. this tiny little experience that we have in mortality. and we get to just keep playing off of those experiences and playing off of those experiences. So and, you know, the, the books that have been stored, the memories that have been stored, we take that with us and then we just continue to add on that. That is unique to our Mormon doctrine. Yeah. That I we have it. this idea of, of this learning that continues forever and ever yeah, and ever. And eternal progression, that's just... Isn't the best. that so oh, wonderful? The There's so many wonderful people operating oh, so in the many. world that oh, are doing so God's many. work. 
in Hi, all sorts great. of different capacities, even outside the church, like your father. I mean, so many that are just, they know, they recognize the feeling of who they I are. I agree. I so And agree. they seek for good knowledge. Mm-hmm. It, it's just so exciting to me. And I'm so grateful to that, that I can continue my learning past this life because oh, I agree. every year that I get older, I know this is so cliche because you know, there's, there's probably, I think there's a saying that goes along with this, but the more, it's like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. It, I feel that so strongly the older I get. I do too. The more I realize, oh my goodness, I'm going to be so much more wise in 10 years or oh, so much I more know. wise in 20 years. And, and to think of father and, and he is, was, I don't know how, how old Heavenly Father is, you know, oh, but his learning mm-hmm. that he has gathered, you know. Oh, his, storehouse so is <laughs> his storehouse oh, is full. His storehouse is one that I will gladly tap into. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. me too. Yeah. Take our teaspoon of knowledge with us. Yes. Go to school. So, Connie, I was thinking, you've shared your testimony so beautifully through this, but I'm wondering, would you mind just sharing your testimony with us? Oh, I've, I would be glad to, although room isn't big enough to hold my testimony this point in time, I really recognize that we are sur- surrounded by truths and that if we take them one by one and put them in our basket and if we pray with all our hearts and if we acknowledge the reality of our Heavenly Father who is a Father in heaven to our childlike spirits and that the gospel is love and that it is also learning and that it is a divine gift and opportunity to take what we know and add upon it precept by precept and experience by experience and if we will depend upon it and if we will believe it and trust it and if we will take the basic truth of the gospel starting with love and friendship and kindness and open hearts the gospel is so big and it is so everywhere pieces of it all around that we will be so rich and we will be so full and so able and we will have eyes to see where we can be helpful we will have eyes to see needs and we will have hearts to feel the problems and needs of others and we will have opportunity to do and if we will take those opportunities we will keep growing into our real selves who knows how big those are but I think to be in a ward together, in a sisterhood, such a privilege. Oh my goodness, when I think of our mission in Switzerland and meeting people who just didn't, never heard of God or never thought that of blessings like that, we we are we have so much to share, and if we can find ways to 
give and to share. I, mean, I think of the gospel as whatever's true, I claim it as part of the gospel. And I've whatever's kind, whatever's loving, I, I think it's part of the package. And I think the package is beyond price. And I, I think it binds us and helps us to grow and become and gives us the feeling that my father pointed at. said, when you feel this feeling, do whatever it tells you to do and you'll be so glad you did. You'll avoid what you will most want to have avoided. I, I think I think sometimes of a, of time I have a, a sort of feeling about future retrospective I call it. Sometimes if I have a problem I think what a long time from now will I look back on this and wish I had done. And I think always the gospel will tell us what we will wish to have done and always will be right. And I mean, if I feel the feelings of love and hope and joy that I think of as the gospel, I'm all right. I can do anything and be anywhere. But I love knowing that David is part of that. And that's... Isn't that the the sweetest reward, truly? Oh, truly. I watched my grandmother. She passed away last year. But for the last uh, three years of her life, she lived without my grandfather. And she lived with my mom, who lives just a, a short drive in Lehigh. So I spent quite a bit of time over there with my grandmother. And my grandmother was a wonderful artist. She's where I got my obsession for color from. I have a lot of artists in my family. And my grandmother um, had just a lot of physical ailments that made it so she spent her last few years of life doing a good amount of sitting. Mm Mm-hmm. And she was very astute, very smart, and had always had a great love for learning also. And she was always sticking things in her library as well. Just a wonderful, wonderful woman. But she would sit and she would draw pictures. And I have upstairs in my library now just a big box full of these sketchbooks that she would sketch in. And it helped her to process that that small amount of time where she was out her where she was without her sweetheart. And I read those, and they are the epitome of love oh. in a marriage. There's pictures of my grandmother. It sounds so silly, but it shows her in her rocking chair, and she's in heaven. She's kind of on her way to heaven in a rocking chair, and she's it's kind of stick figure ish. And she's singing, How Far Is Heaven? I'm Coming. <laughs> or pictures of her. And they're all kind of stick figure-ish. You know, memories when she was younger with her sweetheart. They were childhood sweethearts. Mm. And so they would be at a school ball or something like that. And she would just, but everything had 
the words on there, how far is heaven? Oh. How long will I wait? Lord, I trust your plan. She would draw the picture, but then she would always have that affirmation. I trust the plan. I'll wait. Knowing that that her sweetheart was there waiting for her. And in my life, having a wonderful sweetheart, too, really? I think. I love seeing your marriage. My, I, I love thank sitting, you. but the time out, thank I love you. to sit behind you because oh I goodness. always know Spencer's arm is oh, going. Oh, thank you. He's a wonderful <laughs> man. And, you know, I think it just makes the learning and the experiences and all that we go through oh, so, so, so meaningful and dear. So rich. And, and to think, oh, it does. no matter what, I, I know how this part of this this, stage, cha- that's this, true. You this know, chapter is- chapter plays out. It's going to be okay. And that helps us to do so anything. true. You know. But I love you, Connie. Your I testimony you, today. Mm. I wish all of our sisters could be sitting here today. Mm. Your experiences have just added upon the beauty of your countenance. Mm. And I just want to be like you when I grow up. I oh. just think you're amazing. Oh, thank you for listening and for inviting and for doing this. What a great project. I'm looking forward to hearing every one of them, seeing every one of them. And I I think we felt that feeling in the room. I want to do better, be better, and love. That's that feeling. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. That's that feeling. Precious. So thank you, Miss Connie Binion.